0: An experiment. An experiment. An experiment
1: to begin with. Welcome to One Million Experiments, a podcast showing and exploring how communities are creating a world without police and prisons.
2: I'm Damon. I'm Daniel. And we're two Chicago based podcast hosts and movement workers who every month are bringing you a conversation with the practitioners, thinkers, and enactors. And these experiments in expanding and redefining what safety and protection mean. And we're so excited to be hosting this podcast brought to you by Ergo, Interrupting Criminalization, and Project Nia. So each month
1: we hop into the lab with a different emerging community-based project, program, or dare I say experiment, not only to amplify and broadcast amazing work, but to invite you, the listener, or our peers, into the practice or praxis of experimenting to creating a world beyond carceral systems. So listen, not just to learn, but from a space of inquiry, as we want as many people as possible to get into doing this work.
2: We want to bring in our partner in this project, our fearless co-host and generally wonderful human uh, who have been really happy to be getting to know as we launch this podcast forward. Folks, even a gal is here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
3: <laughs> wow! Episode two, and I already get sound effects. Y'all are too good to me.
2: No, the sound effects come standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only That's, up from here. We like you'll <laughs> see as we move into like rarer animal noises towards episode five and six. Damon has a really nice jaguar that you can be ready for.
1: Uh, we want to keep the people waiting, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that in the bag. But the jungle <laughs> cat is coming.
2: Be, be prepared.
3: <laughs> okay, I'll know. I'll know. I've made it when jungle cat comes. You got me.
2: Absolutely. So Eva, first of all, thank you for hopping back on with us for this second episode. You know, As one of the practitioners of this One Million Experiments project overall, beyond just the podcast, maybe we can start with who we're talking to today and why we decided that they would be a good uh, contribution as we get the series started.
3: Absolutely. So great to be back with you all. When we were thinking about launching the One Million Experiments podcast and the zine series that's going to go along with it. The first project that came to my co-creator's mind, Miriam Kaba, was the Black Trans Travel Fund. Project Nia, the organization that Miriam heads up, back in I think it was, you know, spring of 2019, had heard about the Black Trans Travel Fund starting in New York City and gave the seed money actually to Devin Lowe, our guest today, who's the executive director of the Black Trans Travel Fund. And so We've kind of seen this project from its infancy to where it is now, and it's just, it's exploded. And so it was an obvious place to start. The Black Trans Travel Fund is unique for a bunch of reasons that Devin's going to go into, but, you know, it is a Black trans-led collective. It's a grassroots project. And it really started, I think, in the true one million experiment spirit it started by seeing a need in community working to meet that need and then growing into i think you know something else devin was you know seeing their partner seeing loved ones in movement spaces um seeing black trans women having a hard time accessing you know safe reliable transportation you know at the very least and so in order for people to be able to go to rallies to go to vigils In their movement work, Devin wanted to provide funds, you know, a tangible material good to Black trans women to be able to access movement work in a safe and sustainable way. And, you know, what has gone from 50 rides a month for 50 Black trans women in New York and New Jersey in 2019 and blossomed into an organization that staffs Black trans people and that is serving 150 Black trans women a month in transportation but not only the the transportation of their choice around the city to do the things that they want to do, but also things like flights, you know, for court dates that they want to make. Um, they have a program for people to get their TSA pre check so that they're not hassled at the airport. They have a program for people to get passports. So the Black Trans Travel Fund is meeting, you know, not just. This need for transportation and not just, you know, a way to keep people safe from day to day, but an expansion of like what is possible and what is possible when people feel safe and can go about their day-to-day lives doing the things that they want to do, um, especially when that includes giving back to community and to building movement. This project really highlights the experiments um, that we were thinking of when we launched this project. You know, it is an experiment that can really serve as a model for people around the country who have, you know, not just an idea about transportation, but an idea about a tangible small thing that they can do. And they can really see that small idea grow into itself in community, in collaboration, in conversation to something that, you know, continues to evolve and meet the needs of the people that it's trying to serve.
2: Eva, as you mentioned, we really get into how the project has expanded and some of the potential for what's going to come next. But if you want to learn more and you want to tangibly support by donating or any other type of support, head to blacktranstravelfund.com.
1: And with no further ado, let's hop into the lab with Devin Lowe.
2: We are so excited on this episode to be talking with Devin Lowe there it is love itself air horn love it we're We're right in the zone (laughs) Uh, Devin let's start with the uh, the same question that we start all of our episodes with and it's a two part question in this time however you define time could be this hour this moment this season this lifetime how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world
0: Mm. Mm, what a profound question how the world is treating me. I do have to say that I'm blessed, definitely blessed and highly favored, given the circumstances of so much chaos happening in the world, you know but you know i'm I'm fed and clothed and housed and so i gotta be and and healthy I uh, gotta be grateful for that, even though uh you know there's plenty of of chaos in my life um but we you know we persevere. And uh, how am I treating the world? I am trying my hardest to make this world a better place because I'm in it. Yeah, I think I think I'm doing all right by the world. Um, I sleep well at night. (laughs)
2: Love, love a sound sleeper. That's that's me as well. I feel like Dame. Where do you fall on the sound sleeper spectrum? Once I get there, I'm gone.
1: So (laughs) if if, if I if
2: I get to sleep, I'm I'm a
1: knockout. It's it's the it's the get in there. Sometimes that can be. But you lately, I've been.
2: I've been pretty comatose, so I'm regenerating. So with, uh, in the waking hours, uh, we're so excited to talk about the work that you and your team have done uh, building the Black Trans Travel Fund. Before we get into what it looks like now, I, w- I want to start before this project existed, before this experiment had been put into practice. What was your hypothesis?
0: I tell you my hypothesis.
2: <gasps> about what you thought this project could do and what did you hope it would do? I'm going to give a disclaimer
1: as you think of that for everyone listening. And for you, Devin, just being completely transparent, we are going to be as corny as we can about this experiment metaphor. And so be prepared for us to drag that out. And if it don't work for you, it's okay. We're over here just experimenting with this experiment. So just be prepared.
0: (laughs) That's all right. I will be the scientist for the day. (laughs) Um, I'll be completely honest with you. Like, I never in my wildest dreams expected for the Black Trans Travel Fund to grow in the ways that it has. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I just knew that it was going to look like me trying to get some Black trans women home safely. But it's just expanded so, so, so much. Like, you know, we're not just getting girls home from the rally or the protests anymore or the Pride event. It's like we, we, and women off flights, you know, to get to their court cases or to go see their mama. You know, like it's, it's so many, so many beautiful ways in which it had grown. But when I first thought about the Black Trans Travel Fund and, and wanting it to be a thing, it was because I was constantly in the midst of movement struggle. Like I was always at a rally, always at a protest, always at a vigil because so many of the women in our community were dying, you know, they were being brutally murdered. And um, my partner, Morticia Godiva, who is part of the Black Trans Travel Fund team, we've been together for four years now. I was sick of hearing her talking about how she didn't want to go out because she was afraid to take the train, how she was afraid to walk down the street and be harassed by you know the men that are on the block. So I didn't know what Black Trans Travel Fund was going to look like, but I knew that whatever it was, it was going to try to minimize the possibility for that harassment when the girls go
1: out. I'm really excited to be starting here, you know, being in the abolitionist camp, being down with abolition and hearing how the fun emerged in response to need for folks showing up to movement. This really excites me about this project of going into these experiments of opening up how people can understand abolition. Because for so many, the conversation of abolition starts and stops with police, policing in the carceral state. Which is obviously, you know, central and impactful, you know, the name of the game. But it's easy to then not see abolition as a creative project. And so kind of building off the hypothesis, once we create this space for this type of travel that is being initiated or being provided, um, what becomes more possible?
0: I mean... The possibilities are limitless, you know, when black trans people and black trans women have the capacity to go out um and experience joy, you know, and, and not have to to worry about how they're gonna get home. It just makes room for so much. Like right now, we just this month, for example, we're getting ready to sponsor transportation for a black trans woman who is putting together um artist residency, you know, where they're gonna like be taking a group of Black trans women and other Black queer artists and like developing music together, but they need money for the transportation so that they can go and get all of those folks and like bring them to this house. Um, and so like we're helping to make that happen. Right. That's that's a super random thing. But you think about creation and possibility to create and uh, they reached out to the Black Trans Travel Fund because Miss Boogie she's amazing black trans woman artist rapper check her out um but she was like yo like I want to create this thing and I want to know like what does it look like when we start removing those barriers for our creatives? And, you know, black trans people are creative as hell. Remove that barrier of food, remove that barrier of housing, remove that barrier of transportation, um, and just put them in a space where they have the tools to show up as their best self, show up to create. Um, and so much magic happens. And there is no movement without art. Art, like, informs movement always. So that's just one example of, like, The possibilities of like something that can be created out of something as simple as making sure that, you know, the girls got a ride to go do whatever it is that they got to do. You know, the possibilities for Black joy is limitless. And so we just want to be, you know, a conduit. And it's beautiful to see like all of the things that have been able to happen as a result of the work that we do, which is so simple. I mean, it's something that is so small, like a ride. Can mean so much but we've been able to sponsor rides home from like open mics you know where women come out and perform we've been able to sponsor stuff from like um, beauty and wellness events where girls get to come and be like loved on and be like get they facials get they toes done like whatever there's like so many things like music festivals there's so many things that we sponsor and make able to happen like and support that's one one less thing that people don't have to worry about so
1: in hearing this the 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 word that's coming to me is expansion and kind of on on two levels so in here in hearing just that of like open mics beauty and wellness international travel right like those are all things that like expand your humanity and so I'm thinking about all of the the folks, all the girls that, that are benefiting and being able to expand themselves uh, through this work. And then that takes me back to the work itself, because it started off as rides to and from actions and like, you know, protests. And I'm curious, what are some of the things that it has expanded to that were not even a part of the imagination or a part of what was thought of when it was first emerging or first, first coming off the ground?
0: Something that I never anticipated. People tend to be a bit surprised when they hear about this. But one of my favorite programs that we have is uh, we have a a monthly book sponsorship program. And so, like you, Black Trans Phone, what you mean? You got a book sponsorship program? But book sponsorship program is in tandem with No Names Book Club. I don't know if you know about No Names Book Club, but they are amazing Black woman doing really radical work just opened up a new free library and, and a lot of the literature that they put out is centered around abolition you know they understand like the need to do away with gender essentialism it's very black, very feminist like stuff that is really in line with BTTS politics and so we, recognize that, you know, the work that we're doing is centered around Black trans liberation, but that a key component of liberation is political education. We're not going to be able to get free unless we understand these systems. And also recognizing, like, the lack of access that so many of our folks have. Like, there are books that we want to read, but, you know, that money is going to my food. You know, I'm not, if I have to choose, you know, that's just one choice that we don't want people to have to make. So we pay for the books that are of the month for Black trans women all across the country and ship those books of the month out to the girls who request them. That's a, a beautiful little program. So if you're a Black trans woman listening to this and you're interested in getting some some free literature, you can always come to our website, blacktranstravelfund.com, um, and request the, the book of the month.
2: That's an amazing program, and makes so much sense as a collaboration. Also, people do like to read in cars and planes and on trips.
0: Right, right? you and know, you like, need that's to when do. I get my reading done. You know, hello. <laughs> uh,
2: but I, I want to go back to those those first couple weeks and months of of putting this idea into into practice. What made it more challenging? What, what were some like exciting possibilities that opened up just as you started to put it in practice? Because I think so much of the time what's needed is revealed as we start to try to do it. And there's so many things you can't anticipate.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, In regards to challenges of the work, first thing that comes to mind um, is the scammers. You know, know, you've got women who are reaching out to us for financial support, which we love to do, but our programs are specifically for black trans women. We make that very clear. And I can't tell you how many non-black or non-trans people reach out to us every month trying to straight up swindle us and pretend to be the girls when they really not the girls but I, you know I have a team full of black trans women who know like you can't get get by you know i don't know what they think maybe this is like some computer that's like going through these applications and you can just you know swindle them but it's like we're actual people actual black trans people that are going here like we know our community so um we have to we have to sift through a lot of white people a lot of a lot of sissies who <laughs> trying to get our funds honestly so
2: you know and to be fair you were very clear in the name like you, you would think yeah, this isn't some misread. Direct. It's like when someone sends someone an email and they misspell the name that's in the email address. It's like you just wrote it right there. You know?
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's very frustrating. But you know, we, we prioritize what we prioritize and we do that for a reason. It got to the point. And then, you know, we even had to put a disclaimer at one point on our applications and on our website that because our funding is limited, Um, that we prioritize the most marginalized when, you know, redistributing our funds. And so with that, we make sure that we prioritize darker skinned and or unambiguously Black trans women. And some people like took issue with that. We don't care. You can take (laughs) issue with that all you want because we know who we're doing this work for. We know who is like most heavily impacted when we talk about, you know, violence and harassment in the streets. Um, You know, you got, doors coming up, you're going to look at the list and you're going to see who it is that is being most affected by these violence. And time and time again, it's most often Black trans women, unambiguously Black trans women. And so that's also why I love that we're not a nonprofit. You know, a lot of people mistake the fact and assume that Black Trans Travel Fund is a nonprofit, but we're not. We are grassroots, Black trans-led collective Of people who are trying to make sure that we distribute funds to other Black trans people, specifically women. We don't believe in people who are not Black trans people having saying power, you know, in how funds that are supposed to be for the girls get redistributed. I love the work that I do. I love it because I feel like it allows us to be the most integral with our work because we're not like confined by the constraints of, you know, These funders and what they're demanding, we're not not making deliverables. You're not going to tell me, oh, I have to support X, Y, and Z. I'm like, no, this money is for the girls. It's staying for the girls. And by the girls, I mean the girls, (laughs) which (laughs) is the black trans women.
2: (sighs) I I love that this is where the focus is. It it reminds me of something that um, Miriam mentioned, Miriam Kaba mentioned in our first episode, which is that often when we're talking about these experiments, We get stuck in this idea of things that are underfunded or haven't been fully, and she named, no, we're talking about unfunded things. People are doing this work. People have been buying rides for each other to make sure that they get home safe for a very long time. And what we're naming is not that we need to develop new framings. We need to fund the work that people are already doing to keep their community members safe.
1: And fund it on its grounds instead of fund it relative to the structure that oppresses the people that need to then recreate this in the first place. Sorry.
0: Yeah. No? The nonprofit industrial complex don't need no more funding. They got plenty. <laughs> if anything, they got money. <laughs> they got
2: money. Yeah, I
0: don't know whose pockets is going into Or well, we do. All you have to do is check the, the leadership list.
2: And so in thinking about that, that framework, that's part of what I love about starting the series with this project, because I think, it feels so tangible and it feels so related to understanding how people's lives can be made more possible by these material conditions and the ability to fund this very tangible part of life. Um, I wonder how you, at this point, having seen this project expand, how do you imagine this project fitting into this larger abolitionist world-making project that I know you've engaged with and been part of you know, in other ways as a media maker and an organizer in addition to this?
0: Well, I definitely believe that Black Trans Travel Fund has its role in the abolitionist movement. One of the things that we did as a collective was sit down together and write out what our values were as an organization, things that we stood by, things that we were going to use to inform the work that we did and how we did it. And so one of our core values is abolition or, you know, safety outside of policing Um, because we understand that prisons and police, they don't keep our people or our community safe. You know, they breed and perpetuate violence. And so we made a firm commitment to never work with the police or to support organizations who work with the police. We have a event sponsorship program, right? So we sponsor events, as I already mentioned, every single month, you know. But we make sure that when we get requests, To sponsor events that if you're someone that's working directly with the police, then we're not going to work with you. Where we make it clear, like, we won't sponsor events where the police are showing up, where the police are invited. And we also have a program called the Pay It Forward program, right? And so that program is where we send money out to a different Black trans-led organization um, that is providing material support to Black trans women every month. And that's an international program. So we've sent money out to people in Kenya. We've sent folks out to people in Cuba, folks out to, you know, down in the South and Alabama, like all over the place. But we have criteria for that program. like how we choose who we're going to send that money to. And one of those criteria is that those organizations or formations or collectives, you know, are either practicing or learning abolitionists, meaning that they don't work with the police either. Um, And we make that clear when we like send the money out, we always send a, a letter to let them know that, hey, you were chosen to be a recipient of this program. And this is the criteria that we have. Um, which includes like being you know not 501c3 or being underfunded or being you know prioritizing sex workers prioritizing the housing insecure and prioritizing abolitionism is another one of those things as we move in our work each month like we all are always keeping abolition in mind um, and we are also always trying to support the work of Um, those who are incarcerated or previously incarcerated in our work. So we are connected with different organizations who work with um, incarcerated individuals like the Emergency Release Fund, along with the Legal Aid Society, different organizations who are connected to Black trans people on the inside so that as soon as they are released, we're connected with those Black trans women so that we can provide them with care packages that include uh, money, $250 stipends to help them get wherever they're going when they first get out, along with other things like um, toiletries, you know, like face care stuff, like different things that folks need when they first get out the end of policing includes the end of gender policing, right? Like we talk about the freedom to be, the freedom to exist. Um, and so often like the policing of genders, the policing of people's bodies, and the policing of people's presentations, that's another form of policing. Um, and it's very violent. <sighs> Looking back on like the legacy of radicals like um, Marsh P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, who organized STAR, um and how they put out you know their star manifesto and they were very clear about you know they were not here for the pigs you know they recognized that the gender policing that they were experiencing, constantly being harassed um, and ridiculed and arrested by police was so violent and it was inherent to the very system of policing. And so we think we think about the ways that Black people have always been ungendered or how our Black women have been hyper-masculized always, you know, because of anti-Blackness. And so like how that relates to the struggle of Black trans women, like there's so many connections to to be made, and so the fight for gender self determination and the fight for abolitionism go hand in hand.
1: Wow, that's really significant and important, not just for the world and for like humanity to hear, but also explicitly for this project. Uh, because one of the things that you know a lot of folks are saying, and, and Miriam is really pushing forward in the challenge of even people who. Are becoming comfortable with the notion of abolition in the abstract, or just like don't like the police, the distinction between ending police as in just cops, to we are actually trying to transform society and, and policing, which also then means that people actually have to account for how they are participating in this carcerality, right? How they, how th- this oppression is not just happening with these few hundred thousand. Licensed agents or behind these bars, um, that in every day to day life, there is a confinement. And gender is, you know, there are many social structures, but gender, I think, is one of the primary ways in which just humanity is confined, detained, suppressed, and extinguished, you know, also just like hyper violently. And so, just in receiving that and, and hearing that said so profoundly, Are you seeing transformations (laughs) around that lesson? Um, Because the conversation of trans liberation, as it is also being repressed and opposed, is being forefronted and is coming to popular conscience in a new way. So in acknowledging the way in which almost everybody is participating in this carceral oppression, are you seeing new accountability for that participation? In policing people's bodies,
0: my answer is absolutely. You know, thankfully, I'm so happy to be able to say that. I think yes, I do see transformation. I see it every day. I've seen it in myself. You know, what I thought of when you were speaking immediately was um, needing to kill the cop in our heads, you know, and in our hearts. Um, and and that is something that I see uh, myself, the people that I consider myself in direct community with. Um, And just people that I don't know, but the people that I'm learning from all across this world every day, working on not just, you know, getting rid of the police with the badges, you know, out on our blocks, but like the police that are in our heads and in our hearts, because we have all grown up in the same society um, and all have so much unlearning to do when it comes the way that we police others and ourselves. But, you know, there's... There's so much groundwork that has been being done. I do see a change. um, And I think that a lot of people who, you know, weren't even thinking about abolitionism at all, but just like trans people, queer people, gender variant people all around the world, you know, we've always existed within every culture and we are just fighting to be free, right? You know, we're fighting for our existence, fighting, you know, to be able to, you know, live and love out loud freely and be loved freely And yet, when we dive into our history, it starts to become inevitable that we start to get to this place where we find the connections that were made. Like I said, it was like, you can only start advocating for, you know, the rights of trans people for so long before you start reading up on Star, as I've already named, and you start, you know, actually hearing The politics, you know, that don't just stop at, you know, I deserve to to, to look and wear what I want, but it, it goes so much deeper than that. And so I do think the connections are being made. And likewise, you know. People who were advocating for abolitionists, when you think about black struggle, abolition is inherently a black struggle. You know, like we talk about abolition, we're talking about the freedom from slavery, which still exists to this day. Specifically, like, you know, these these police were are nothing but runaway slave catchers. That's what they've always been. That's what they always will be. And so we're still the same fight. We're trying to free all these slaves that we got locked up, you know, and also... Because there are so many gender, queer, trans, gender variant people that are abolitionists, you can't show up in those spaces without coming into contact with one another. You know, so like more and more every day, I think like the fight for abolition and the fight for gender expansion, you know, they go hand in hand.
2: I love that connection that you drew. Um, And it got me thinking about the work of the fund in terms of movement. And safe movement between safe spaces because so much of the history of abolition is building it decentralized and building it in different pockets where people aren't at the risk of incarceration or aren't at the risk of having their bodies policed and recognizing that the spaces in between those might not be that case, but how do you create pathways for people to move through that? And so I'm, I'm wondering, what does this open up, not just in terms of people being able to get home safely, but really in terms of community building? Because you know, this, this isn't just about tangible money in, in accounts, though that is, of course, really important. But it's about making the possibility for people to share space together. Um, what happens when they get there that this work makes possible?
0: The work that we do makes space for so many beautiful connections that have been developing in community We've sponsored photo shoots for sex workers' rights, right? So then you had all of these different um, sex workers or people that supported sex workers' rights, particularly, you know, Black trans women, uh, were able to come together and be a community together um, and start to organize with each other. And there were some beautiful connections made there. We sponsored self-defense workshops, right? So, like, people that are catering to Um, trans feminine people, Um, not just getting people together, but getting people together for a purpose of learning how to support themselves and support others. Um, It's hard, right? Being a trans person and always feeling like this level of fear, like violence is just around the corner, helping to be able to provide people with tools that can make them feel a little more, you know, safe. And just also seen because it's hard to show up as a trans person at a regular any old self-defense class and not feel gawked at or just, you know, not get the the level of respect for your personhood. Almost all of the events that we sponsor also are events that are organized by black trans people. So the events are is by us for us, just like our organization is by us for us. So that's important too. I have been to these events and like seeing people who have never met each other and probably never would have seen each other where it wasn't not for the fact that like you can get home for free like you don't have to worry about getting home the thing that is stopping people from showing up and being a part of those experiences is the fact that they don't know how they're gonna get home or rather don't want to get home in the ways that are currently accessible to them, which is like the train. <laughs> and, you know, the New York City trains are not, they're not safe at all. There's like, people are constantly being assaulted on them and attacked on them. Earlier in the summer, like there was a black trans woman who was stabbed on the train that we like had to reach out to, to provide some support for. Um, it's like, these things are constantly happening. So we turn that no into a yes mm-hmm. for so many people.
1: I'm being so fed by this conversation, but also the work at large in that answer. And in this example, I hear you naming a a realization of a new freedom. I think a, a central part to liberation is recognizing that so much of our oppression, so much of these carceral systems is about restricting movement. So movement in like the way that we think about it of like rah, rah, you know, here come the protest signs, but you know, whether it's borders and nation states and controlling migration, whether it's actual prisons and restricting how the body can move and where it can go, whether it's sundown towns or apartheid and segregation. And then also like just disorganized transphobia throughout community, a central part of oppression is restricting the movement of bodies and particularly marginalized bodies. Um, And so in hearing travel, in like the capital T sense of like, you know, getting from A to B or getting on a plane, um, being connected to this larger idea of movement, it is creating new freedom. And also just thinking about how it's not just ephemeral or just ideological, right? To Daniel's point, the the real material sense of creating a transformation economy is what is what I like hear you naming. So whether it is how do we protect these resources uh, for people who try to scam us, right? How do we have fugitivity in relationship to folks who are incarcerated, and, and then also of of being selective of what you sponsor? I think is really exciting and creating new new possibilities. Um, so to the point of of resource or being under resourced in this transformation economy, it, it also creates new incentives. One of the things we say of like how do we change behavior without violence is offer new things, <laughs> and so if someone's housing or if someone's food or if someone's medicine is connected to a community based in love that has very grounded principles, it may not just be in your heart to be air quote good or air quote anti-violent. But if then I cannot get access to resources that are available, that might then change or shape the incentives of my behavior. And so I'm hearing there are people that may be organizing events that might've like had cops there that, In wanting to be in solidarity with Black trans people having these material resources and saying, we only participate when it is liberatory, that then incentivizes spaces to be more liberatory. And so from that, from that notion of freedom and this economy that you're building, what are some of the reflections, results, and conclusions that you think the world should be receiving even if they can't see this work on a day-to-day basis?
0: One thing that I I didn't touch on yet, but I wanted to make sure that I did and was taken away, was that people should be prioritizing and centering Black trans people and Black trans women, especially not just, you know, in your neighborhoods, but globally. Internationalism is another one of our core values. You know, our collective recognizes that we live in the imperial core. You know, this is the U.S. imperialist empire that is responsible for the exploitation of so many of our peoples and the resources. Um, And so this money that we are getting, you know, we're blessed to be able to like redistribute these funds that we have. But that's one of the main reasons that we make sure that we're supporting people that are not just here in the U.S., but that we're supporting Black trans people in Africa and across the African diaspora. The fact that we are in this country, we are inherently benefiting from colonialists and settler colonialists and like the pillaging of our people's resources. So, I do want to like emphasize that and that. Black trans liberation is a global struggle, as Black liberation is a global struggle, um, as a pan africanist I, I just always want to emphasize that, um, you know, our people need support everywhere. Uh, we are them and they are us. Um,
1: I have a not serious question for you. Okay. <laughs> what comes first? kufi shopping or the journey into pan-Africanism did the pan-Africanism inspire the kufi or did the kufi inspire the pan-Africanism
0: <laughs> oh that's funny you know what I think I'm gonna be the kufi came first <laughs> <laughs> shut up out, <shout> out <laughs> for to <the> me <laughs> but but you know what but actually it's that's a really hard question because I got this kufi this was my grandfather's actually and and he has been a fervent pan-Africanist since the 60s yeah he actually uh you know, Kwame Tour was his friend and actually nicknamed him Millard Tex Lowe um, back in the 60s when they first met. So he's been advocating for Pan-Africanism for a very long time. The Pan-Africanism was always there, you know, before I even knew it was there.
1: And so was the Kufi.
0: <laughs> and so was the Kufi. Like, as long as I've known my grandfather, he always had a Kufi
2: on his head, so... Honestly, we're asking the wrong Pan-Africanist which came first of those two. We gotta be talking to your grandpa here. If yeah, want to pretty grandpa. much. <laughs> yeah, you have to look him
0: up. Mr. M. Um, Lowe. So I can't really even separate the two. <laughs> oh, that was dope.
1: I was I was being silly, but that was actually a really beautiful answer. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I asked that. Shout, shout out to, to the lineage and and... Another commend you of just like continuing the tradition and
2: continuing the work of,
1: of your ancestors or, or forefathers. So that's that's really beautiful. I say I am doing my
0: best.
2: Be- before we want to wrap, I know we've thrown a ton at you in the last couple of minutes of uh, ideas and, and are reflecting back of what we've heard. Is there anything that you want to jump back to a- any part of this that it feels like it's really important that we that we focus on or make sure we we discuss?
0: One thing I won't, I definitely want to share before we you know close out is just like Black Trans Travel Fund's values. I think that they're something that make us better, and they're something that can make um, any formation out there you know better um, just by following some of these core things. And we've already touched on a lot of a lot of them, but they are you know Black Trans Liberation. You know, understanding and valuing the innate inalienable right to, you know, wellness, shelter, food, leisure, freedom from cis patriarchy for Black trans people, for all people. You know, making sure that we honor our history is very important through this movement work, understanding that, like, you know, we we got here from somewhere and to continue to honor the legacy and not pretend that, you know, these values, the things just, like, came out of nowhere because we're doing a disservice. We have to, you know, Sankofa tells us to go back and get it. Um, And so always honoring our lineage and the work that we do. Um, Making sure that you are prioritizing Black trans leadership as a value. Um, I told you BTTF is run by us for us. We value not having cis folks or white people or having any sort of decision making power over resources that are allocated to black trans folks. And so, um, if you sitting here and you got money and you're trying to figure out how to, how to move that to black trans people, black trans people are need to be the ones involved in that conversation. Make sure that you're getting us involved. Self determination is a core value, and, and that can go back to so many different things. Uh, but just recognizing that, you know, a community's people should have the right to control their own land, their own economy, their own politics, their own culture. We know what we need as a community. Black trans people know what we need. Y'all just need to listen because we've been saying it again. Abolition, access to education and resources is a core value. Transparency and accountability talk too much about that but we are so committed to like building through openness and just remaining responsible to the expectations that we set for others we talk about abolition like we have to make sure that we are accountable to to the community that we are serving um and then prioritizing and centering black trans women globally as i said before so that's eight eight core values that i think can can really help the people out
1: You more or less answered it, but I I do want to, like, just for the sake of the metaphor, ask a closing question of, you know, when we think about experiments, one of the things in this project we're going to be, like, playing with is everything is unique. Nothing can be exactly duplicated, right? And we're not, like, falling into the mythologies of scale, but we do want to inspire work the best experiments in the institutional science spaces can be repeated. And so for folks who want to engage in any abolitionist project or experiment, but I think even more specifically, if there are uh, Black trans people in other spaces that want to mobilize resources in this way, what things do you think need to be in the, in the, the toolkit? What in their little science project for folks who are interested in starting something that is in concert or in honor of this legacy for folks to get started practicing and experimenting, what do you offer for folks to have in, in their toolkit?
0: Well, first thing I would say is don't do it alone. You have to have a team of people to support you that believe in the work that you believe in. To avoid burnout, you know, as an organizer, uh, I, know, I know we hear that word burnout so often. It's got to be militancy and care work. As you know afrofuturists abolitionists of the Americas love to mention militancy and care work, so always remember to keep that in your toolkit so that that work can be sustainable. I think that is the the answer
2: one one other question on that is what tools have you had to add to your own toolkit in doing this work like what what was something you didn't know you were going to need when you started the project
0: I didn't know that I was going to need like Someone with graphic design skills.
2: <laughs> it's always the graphic designer. That's always what it comes down to.
0: Yes. Like you need someone who's going to hold you accountable. You know, you need someone who is not a yes man. You know, it's always good to have a yes man. You need someone who's going to hype you up, but you also need someone that is going to keep you grounded.
2: I love the policy, no cis men, no yes men. This is like a good (laughs) one
0: to no (laughs) cis, I like the yes, no cis men, no yes men. But yeah, just like you just need, diversity is so important. You know, I kind of hate that word, the whole diversity, inclusion. It's like these buzzwords that got thrown around. Universities be using them, they don't really mean anything. But like, for real, you need like a diverse group of people around you.
1: In hearing that, that lesson of how do we define diversity beyond oppressive social structures? So what people usually say when they say diversity is around the gender binary, around the racial construction, and it kind of usually stops there. If we want, you know, dynamic, holistic groups of people, how do we then re-co-opt the notion of diversity around new axes of human relationships?
0: Uh-huh. I'm just learning. That's what you just said. Yeah. No, that's a great. That's a that's a great question. I mean, I don't mean diversity in you know the typical sense because, like, I mean, first of all, Black Trans Travel Fund is 100% Black Trans led, so like there is no diversity in that regard. Like we are Black Trans people, and it's gonna be like that 100%. But it's also like. There is, there's Black trans men, there's Black trans women, there's non-binary folks, there are people of various, you know, sexual identities, there are people that are based in, in the North, in the Midwest, in the South on our team, you know, some of our folks are in Atlanta, some of them are in Detroit, some of them are in why in, in um, we are connected with Folks who are, like I said, out of the country. We have like a multitude of voices informing our work. We got like folks like with different bodies, keeping everyone in mind and the work that we are doing. I don't know. It's a hard question. That's a good question for me to sit with. Honestly, I don't know that I can answer your question, but it's like more so a gift that I will take with me and continue to think about.
2: That's a good outcome of an experiment It's some more good questions to think about and, and keep chewing over yeah. That's another thing that Miriam said in the first one is like, we're not trying to get solutions. We're trying to build better questions. And that's part of the abolitionist project too. Thank you so much for your time and your thoughts and sharing the process and the how and why of what you do. How can folks find you and your work in the ways you'd like to be found?
0: Definitely. First and foremost, check us out on our website is blacktranstravelfund.com. Um, you can learn more about the work that we're doing. If you're a Black trans woman, that you can apply for funds there. Um, you can also reach out to us via email, blacktranstravelfund at gmail.com. Um, and then we also have Twitter. Definitely hit up our Twitter page. So it'd be lit. It's Black Trans Travel, B L K, Trans Travel. And then on Instagram, which is Black Trans Travel Fund, regular spelling. Facebook, you can find us Black Trans Travel Fund.
2: Are there other tangible ways that uh, folks who come across this could be supporting the work too?
0: Absolutely. You could donate to support our work. Donate. You know, we pay for passports now. That was something I didn't mention, but we have a whole passport sponsorship program. So if you want to fund a passport today, send us some coin. We're paying for TSA pre-check for the girls so that they're not getting harassed when they're going through the airports. Um, so if you want to pay for uh, somebody's TSA pre-check, send us some funds. If you want to pay for the flight, send us some funds. You could f- send us money on Cash App, Venmo. PayPal. You could write us a check. All of your money is going to Black trans people, 100% of it. And if you want information on that, you can email us again, blacktranschildfund at gmail.com. But please donate, Cash App, MMO, PayPal.
2: Hit us up. Funds need funding. That is a thing about funds. Fund the fund. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and again, just in closing, just want to offer, again, gratitude to you, but also the community that you stand with. You know, in in a conversation, you can only talk to so many people. And I know that you're not doing this work alone. Uh, But thank you for your your time, for your thoughts, and most importantly, your labor. Um, You know, it is clear that all folks who are interested in any struggle for liberation can first learn from black trans liberation, but most importantly should be interconnected and intersecting with black trans liberation. So thank you again for making more possible, not just for your community, but for this project and for all of our listeners. We 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 humbly appreciate it.
0: Oh well, Shay, thank you so much, Damon and Daniel. Y'all have been amazing. I appreciate y'all for, you know, just offering up your platform so that more people can learn about the work that we're doing.
2: Folks, that was Devin Lowe of the Black Trans Travel Fund. Wonderful. You want to say?
1: <laughs> no, no, I just wanted to get that wonderful. There. Loose you, wonderful. I thought you were about to say another sentence. So just,
2: <laughs> that
0: was just a little
1: a little hi-hat symbol in the, in the background. No. Speaking of wonderful, we're happy to still have Eva here with us, um, and let's just let's just debrief a little bit of, of of what we heard and what we talked about. So, our conclusions, would you say, Damon? Conclusions, maybe some observations going on right mm-hmm. now. You mm-hmm. know, we the get metaphor get, lives. The game, we we are continuing. So, Eva, do you have any takeaways, conclusions, observations that that, that are jumping out from that conversation?
3: Woo, Damon. Yeah. The things that stuck out to me, I think, you know, that listening to it again now are just that transformation economy that you all hit on. And, you know, I'm I'm just struck again by how the Black Trans Travel Fund is a collective in action. So Miriam has this idea of the kitchen cabinet. And it's when you are doing anything. When you're going forward and, and putting your energy and work out into the world, you invite the people around you in who are experts or who you're connected to in that work, and you talk through your idea with them, right? You get a peer review for your idea. Um, you start to work with with the people around you that, you know, and gather those resources and those opinions. Um, this also, I think, oof, I'm revealing something here, but I went to a Quaker school. And so this is also a little bit of like a Quaker thing too, where you're, um, you call people in for these, these to help you mull over some of these questions. I'm, I'm not a Quaker myself, but it's a practice that I've found really useful in life. And so I, I think of Devin, you know, hearing the suffering and the violence that is being inflicted on their community and bringing people in to this collective to really expand the ways in which not only can they limit the violence, but they can expand the possibilities for, you know, you put it so beautifully, Damon, expand the possibilities for humanity and the work that they do to make it generative, to make it creative. And I love that that came through in this episode because that is exactly what One Million Experiments is about.
1: What about you, Daniel? What, What are some of your reviews coming out of that conversation?
2: It was a point that I felt like we kind of all got to together in some ways, Dame. I think you led the the way on it. Uh, was this linking of like the freedom to participate in social movement and the freedom that comes from social movement being linked to the ability for people to move freely, and like actually the ways that limiting personal mobility is a tool of inhibiting social movements, um, and some of the potential that. enabled by people being able, whether that's to cross town safely or to cross or erase borders safely, but the linking of like a person's ability to get from point A to point B, and then the things that can come just because of who's able to be in that room, who wouldn't have been there otherwise. It's just something that, that, you know, I think it really uh, brought home uh, for me.
1: Yeah, that that definitely rings true. What I'm taking away is how this conversation really spoke to and generatively related to some of the the biggest limitations of our movement so you know from your point on a very basic level uh we take for granted transportation at large right like we just say we're going to be doing all these things uh and i think in in a very like privileged way discount the energetic financial or like spiritual expenditure and how that can put people at risk so that that really uh resonates and then kind of the deeper feeling I'm ha- I'm having I'm almost trying to be careful or cautious around my hesitancy is that I know that there is um, risk in over extrapolating before I do that I just want to name like the material and compounded value of just like the discrete specific community getting the resources they need right like it does not have to be any bigger than that to be important but I also am taking away these this bigger lesson that I think is going to be a through thread for me through this whole podcast is abolition is so much more than what people's imagination of it when they usually first come to the space of how do I have something else after things have gone really bad, right? Like, how do I have a different reaction or a different response? Because that's what the state has taught us, right? Like, the best thing we can get is like an ineffective reaction. The, the learning that taught me the most about the limitations of both Black movement spaces, but also carceral spaces, is the violence Black trans communities are resiliently surviving. The The truth is, even if you are not an abolitionist, the police and prisons aren't going to do shit about the violence that Black trans women are experiencing. And then also within movement spaces, we can Perpetuate that marginalization or even contribute to that violence, whether it is physically, emotionally or politically. And so the the creation of this transformation economy or this infrastructure that one centers, the mobility, the presence of black trans liberatory bodies and voices in the spaces that are supposed to be for liberation. It is also we're getting a little bit of the lesson or the seed of what actually transforming our communities and society looks like. So it does not just look like, who do we call after the the unthinkable or the horrible has happened? How do we actually create these systems of care, of nurturing, of protection that
2: disallow the violence we take for granted as normal? Yeah. And it's not just about it being preventative. It's about making it impossible or obsolete. Exactly. Exactly. I think it leads to the last part of our experiment on this episode, um, which we've learned in having to learn about experiments to maintain our (laughs) metaphor, that there is such a thing as the peer review. Boom, boom. Hoping
1: I don't offend all my peers.
2: Y'all are the peers, listeners. So get to reviewing. What we're asking of y'all is to share with us, whether it's on social media, you can email millionexperiments at gmail.com. What are the pieces of this conversation that stick out to you? What became tools that Devin shared that you're going to bring into your toolbox? And what are ways that this conversation is informing how you're going to be a practitioner in your own experiment? It doesn't have to be some big grandiose takeaway like we just gave. It can just be like, that sentence stood out to me, or that really resonated with my experience doing this action, something like that. Um, but we want to hear what from this conversation is sticking with you.
1: And to take the pressure off, you you don't even have to have an answer per se. Arguably, the most important part of an experiment is the question or the place of inquiry. So if this conversation got you to a deeper place of curiosity or complicated your thinking or challenged you in any way, you can also share that as well, because that is the first step to further experimentation. So allow curiosity to be your beaker or, or Bunsen burner or petri dish, your telescope, whatever, allow it to be your tool to get going. Let's get to work.
3: (laughs) And for those of you who are like, okay, but seriously, how do we start up an experiment kind of just like this one? Be on the lookout because after we do these interviews with experimenters, we will drop an in-depth scene about how they set up that experiment. Not to say that you should or can replicate it exactly, but helping people walk through the steps about, you know, how we do what we do and make that transparent, just like Devin said.
2: Where will they be able to find that zine, Eva?
3: Oh, Daniel, <laughs> they will be able to find that at millionexperiments.com. And you can also follow Interrupting Criminalization on social at interruptcrim.
2: If you are an experimenter, please, please share the information about your experiment with us. There's an area on the website at millionexperiments.com where you can submit your own project to be featured in this encyclopedia that's being built. Also, make sure to subscribe to One Million Experiments wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. See, that's a place for a peer review. It's on a (laughs) podcast review (laughs) section. Um, You can check out all the work that Dame and I do on our other show, Ergo, at ergoradio.com or just type in A-I-R-G-O wherever you get your podcasts. And we're at Ergo Radio on everything. Eva, thank you so much again for hopping on with us. We're excited to bring you a new experiment next month. Until then, much love to the people. Peace.